Las Vegas Review-Journal. This one in the air. Deep to left field. Pollock at the wall. It's going to go. A leadoff home run for Fernando. And Tatis hits his third home run of the series. Padres jump in front. One to nothing right off the bat. Ah! Three and two to Tatis. Here it is from Bauer. And reach four. Hit in the air to left center field. Well struck again. Peters going back again. At the wall. Going to go. Yes, sir. Fernando with his second of the night off of Bauer. Got him in the first. He gets him in the sixth. And the Padres back in front, three to two. The Las Vegas Journal Review. Here's the 2-2 pitch. And that one is swung on. Hit in the air out to deep right center field. Betts is going back. He is at the wall. It's going to go. Fernando homers again. His fifth in his last 11 at bats against the Dodgers. And the Padres are within one here in the fourth. Whacking that thing around. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. The best part about Fernando Tatis hitting five home runs in three games. I don't even think we've played them all yet for rejoins just for Ed. All right. We do want to I talk about Knights now. I couldn't get two of them. We, so. we, can stay, we can stay with Tatis if you want, Ed. You sure? You sure? Fernando Fine. Tatis. I've seen enough of that guy. <laughs> I don't see that guy again until June, so let's go. <laughs> okay. So, the Golden Knights, they got a win on Saturday. They don't play again until Wednesday. They will play Colorado on Wednesday. An anticipated matchup as the Avalanche, they've fallen four points behind the Golden Knights, but they've got two games in hand. So, you know, you go on pause, you don't get to play. Of course, you're going to fall behind there. So, a big game on Wednesday as far as that one seed in the West goes. But probably the bigger question for the Golden Knights right now isn't really how they're going to play against Colorado. It might be who plays against Colorado. Uh, Ryan Reeves, Riley Smith, and Keegan Colasar have all been out in their last game on Saturday. Both Nick Waugh and Tomas Nosek had to leave the game. Now, of those five, Ryan Reeves is on long-term IR, so he will not be back until I. Well, it's like the first few days of May he's eligible to come back. So he cannot come back for this one. The other four, conceivably, could all be back, could all be healthy for Wednesday's game. And they've got a few days off between there, so it wouldn't be too surprising if a few of those guys are back. But, I, I mean, the, the forward lines are beat up. They were already playing with Dylan Coglin, who's a defenseman, as a fourth-line right winger in these games. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see who the Golden Knights call up, uh, who the Golden Knights try to play it forward, because I, I don't – can they even call Cody Glass up right now? I don't think they can with the salary cap unless somebody goes on long-term IR. I don't think they can. I'm more interested in – and we've talked about this before. I want to get your thoughts here because Reeves has been out for a while. Two things – and Noshik is, has played, obviously, really, really well. Two things interest me. I want to know what you think. When Reeves is healthy, given how they've played and given how they've looked, and I know it's Ryan Reeves and everyone loves Ryan Reeves, I get that. Revo, I understand that. But would you put Ryan Reeves, if you're starting to play off smart, is he even in the lineup? And two, on top of that, would Riley Smith go to the third line and Matty Ice get up to the second line? All right, so first on Ryan Reeves, what is... Would you play him? What is fascinating about Ryan Reeves? He's your fourth line right winger. He cannot play another position. He can't play center, he's not playing left wing, and he's not getting moved up in the lineup. You're not playing him on the third line. He has one position that he can possibly play. It is fourth line, right wing. 
That position has been so unimportant during this nine-game win streak that the Golden Knights have, A, used Dylan Coglin, who's basically mm-hmm. a rookie defenseman, to play in that position. And then, B, sometimes they've played without a fourth-line right winger because not on Saturday, but two games ago, Pete DeBoer, Dylan Coglin was his fourth-line right winger to start the game. First period, Dylan Coglin played on the right wing on the fourth line. But then the rest of the game, they just didn't have a fourth-line right winger because Dylan Coughlin became a seventh defenseman. So they just sort of rotated through those other two guys on the fourth line as much as they could. But they just determined that that position wasn't important, that they didn't even need it for a game. So the position that Ryan Reeves plays has been so devalued the last few games because of Dylan Coughlin and Pete DeBoer just saying, ah, we don't need to have a fourth-line right winger that I can't comprehend what, like, I'm, he's going to be back in the lineup because they love Ryan Reeves and he's they're going to put him in over Dylan Coglin, obviously. But it, as far as roster building goes, as far as, to me, it's more about the front office. Like, there's no need to keep him around. Like, what he's doing is easily replaceable. They have not needed anybody to fill in what Ryan Reeves does. Most people are better than what Ryan Reeves does. And so when you're building out a roster, there's no need for Ryan Reeves on the team, especially if you've got to pay him more than a million dollars. That's a position you can fill with a guy who's making $725,000. I'm with you. I don't uh, I don't get it. And like I know, he's, I know he's beloved, and it's almost sacrilegious around here to say that you wouldn't put him in the lineup. Long term, though, I I totally agree. I mean, what's he? he I think he went two-year deal. I, I remember him in his car saying that he just signed again. I thought he said he signed a two-year deal. I haven't kept up on his contract very much. But yes, if, yes. if that's the left. case, I'm sorry if that's the case. Again, it also comes back to could you move him? Would people take him? I, you know, uh, the price and all of that. I get that. But I would think it's a it's a friendly enough contract to where you could probably move. You might not get much back, but in the long term of what he's given recently, I mean, I'm thinking long term like you are. I don't I don't get like the the I guess the overwhelming positive nature of keeping him. Yeah, he's so he's one point seven five million. He's got one year left That's, after yeah, this okay. season. So, okay. but as an as a team who's up against the cap, right? He's making one point seven five million. Dylan Coglin's been filling in, and Dylan Coglin's cap hit is seven hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. So you're talking about a million dollars right there. And that million dollars, if if say Reeves wasn't on the team, maybe that's enough that Cody Glass can be on this team right now. And Cody Glass doesn't have to be in the minors because of his salary cap hit at the moment. So that can be a big deal for a team who's up against the cap. And you look at the reports saying that next year, the salary cap is going to be flat. Right. Uh, that means it's not going up, that the Golden Knights are going to be in salary cap issues again next season. And saving, even if it's just a million bucks on Ryan Reeves, that can be very, very helpful for the future. So I like to me again, this season, once you get to the playoffs, the salary cap doesn't matter anymore. So Ryan Reeves is probably going to be in there and that's demonstrably fine. Like he's not gonna he's not gonna hurt your team that much. Like you can probably do better, but he's not gonna hurt you. It's when you're looking at roster building and when you're trying to find the most value he doesn't present very much value for the contract you're paying him when you could instead have Keegan Colasar or even a defenseman in Dylan Coughlin fill in and save yourself a million bucks. Now, your other question what about, was about... What about Riley Smith? Where does Riley Smith go when he comes back? It's, so, 
Again, it goes back to what does Matthias Janmark give you on that second line that Riley Smith might not? And the biggest answer, the biggest thing that you need to see is goal scoring. And right. if for whatever reason, we saw it the first game they played together with Janmark, with Marcheseau and Carlson, where Marcheseau scored twice and Janmark scored. If you get the goal scoring from Janmark on that line, then you should absolutely be fine with leaving him there and bumping Riley Smith down. Now, the problem is, is we don't really have that many games left. But I think if Riley Smith came back, I think you leave Janmark on that second line just to give it a few games to see. Because you know what you have with Riley Smith, William Carlson, and Jonathan Marshall. They don't need to play together anymore. They've played together plenty. They, you can throw them together once the playoffs start, even if they haven't played together for a month. And they'll be fine. But you don't really know exactly what you have with Matthias Janmark on that line. So I think if Riley, even if Riley Smith's back, I think I'd leave Janmark there Wednesday. And then whether they play again on Friday, like I'd leave him there just to see, just to get more games and get a better understanding of what that line would look like. Because here's the other, here's the thing with playoffs. Even if you don't, even if you don't start the playoff with Janmark on that second line, you're almost guaranteed to have a bad game, have a bad period, and Pete DeBoer changes the lines. And you want to have seen as many possible combinations as you can so you know what lines might work in certain situations. So I'd leave Janmark there and see if that can work out, if that can work better than Riley Smith playing as your second-line right winger. Yeah, I think I would as well for a few reasons. One, look, Riley Smith hasn't been great this year, I get, but now you move him down with Tuck. Maybe it ignites him and you know he can, he can find himself a little more than he has this year. And I think Janmark's played well enough that he should be up. Um, you know, I think they like him a lot. I, I gotta be, I don't know what you think, but I've kind of been more impressed with him than I thought I would be. Um, so I'd move him up and again, you know, Alex Tuck is really good. He's really fast. Maybe Robbie Smith can find something there with him. Uh, and I think that would make three really strong lines. So I'd move Janmark up and, and Smith down. I don't, again, I, Reeves interests me. I'm with you. I think he'll play. I think with him, it's more long-term, but I've got to be honest with you. I mean, if you're taking one, over the other, I think you're kind of hoping Noshik's healthy. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, no that's, that's not even close. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Because Noshik, A, Noshik has position versatility where where Ryan Reeves can only play fourth line right wing. Tomas Noshik can play as a center or you can move him to the wing if you want. And then on top of that, even though it's probably not going to continue, but Tomas Noshik has actually scored goals. Like Ryan Reeves hasn't provided that at all. Noshik has reasons. So you absolutely, you're taking Noshik over Reeves. Like if you're choosing which one you want to come back, it's it's Riley Smith is number one. Tomas Noshik is probably number two. And then, I I mean, hell, Keegan Colasar and Ryan Reeves are kind what of What about safe. Keegan Colasar, number three? I mean, they're, they're, actually, Nick Waugh, yeah. I'd put number three. I'd put Nick Waugh three because he can play center as well. I, and then Colasar and Reeves Colasar are the four. same. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. The, they're the same guy to me. They're, they play the same position. They bring you the same, hey, he can't score – but he'll fight somebody type of play. So I, to me, it's the same. It doesn't matter which one once you get to the playoffs. Now, again, roster building, you'd rather have Colasar because he's a million dollars cheap. But once you're in the playoffs and the salary cap doesn't matter, eh, whatever. Ryan Reeves, Keegan Colasar, they're the same player. You'll be fine either way. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into Hey Rev and Bischoff's Briefs. But first, here is your chance to win a free haircut from Floyd's 99 Cuts and Colors. A $29 value can be yours from Floyd's 99 Cuts and Colors. 
You also get hot lather, neck shave, shoulder massage, plus a free massage shampoo. We will take caller number three at 702-364-1100. That is 702-364-1100. Bischoff's Briefs. I'm asking you if you know the difference between right and wrong. I discovered at a very early age that if I talk long enough, I could make anything right or wrong. Bischoff's Briefs. So either I'm God or truth is relative. Bischoff's Briefs. And in either case, booyah. Bischoff's Briefs. Make sure you guys stay tuned. In a few minutes, we'll be giving away a Golden Knights jersey plus an entry to win tickets to a Golden Knights game. And we'll be doing that all week. We will have five jerseys to give away throughout the course of the week. Also, congratulations to Ron. He won the Floyd's 99 Cuts and Color free haircut. Oh, man, I called him Ron and it's Rob. Sorry, Rob. Congratulations to Rob. He won the free haircut to Floyd's 99 Cuts and Color color but golden knight jersey coming up soon bischoff's brief stuff hey reb oh we have some more hey reb news it's always good when we have hey reb news so keith whitfield the new president at unlv he actually did a q a with the nevada independent uh and talked a little bit more about hey reb and the nickname rebels and he, he reiterated sort of the same or a similar narrative that we've heard from unlv for a few months now because they have to justify why They're keeping the nickname Rebels, but dumping Hey Reb. And their justification has been that as a university, they embody sort of a rebellious spirit. And they're in Las Vegas, and they do things differently. And that's sort of where they're going and why they're keeping the nickname Rebels, because they view themselves as rebellious spirits. But Hey Reb had to go. So he told that to the Nevada Independent, and it's similar to what we've heard from him in the past couple of months. Now, um, I did I did a little bit of journalism. I did a public re- uh, record request for some emails from UNLV Whoa. in regards to Hey Rev. I know. You did public records? Whoa. I did. Stop the big presses. time over here. Wow. So one of them from Keith Whitfield was about having to potentially lose the nickname Rebel. So if you remember uh, a couple months ago, There was that whole Nevada legislature, there was a bill that might get passed that would allow or would would basically say, hey, you cannot have offensive nicknames as your mascot and that the nickname Rebels could have possibly been on the chopping block if that passed. So when that was being discussed over at UNLV, Keith Whitfield sent an email that said having to change from the nickname Rebels would be devastating. And to me, it's one thing if Keith Whitfield says publicly that you want to keep the name because you're keeping the name. There can be pressure from fans or donors or whatever. But to me, for him, like in an internal email, for him to say, hey, we can't lose the nickname Rebels. It'd be devastating to have to change from the nickname Rebels. To me, that means something. Like there's something behind that where Keith Whitfield actually wants to keep the name Rebels and it's not going to be going anywhere as long as Keith Whitfield is the president at UNLV, that that's not going to be some sudden change of heart that he actually wants to keep it. So that was one small detail. A couple other things from the emails there. Um, The cost to remove Hey Rep. So this was just, this is not the statue. This is just the athletic department. This is like, taking Hey Rev off of jerseys or off of T-shirts or stuff like that. Just the athletic department, 
the cost for them to remove Hey Reb was $215,000, which doesn't actually seem like a lot. Like I, I, I saw the $250,000 and thought, huh, that's not actually a lot of money. Like if you're having to change your completely get rid of something that conceivably could be on anything in the athletic department, $250,000 doesn't seem like a whole lot of money. So even, even for UNLV, even for an athletic department in the Mountain West that doesn't make a ton of money, I didn't really view $215,000 as a lot to get rid of Hey Rep. And then finally, the most fun part of these emails here is something that did not happen. So if we go back to June of last year, when the Hey Rep statue was removed, Desiree Reed Francois sent an email to her staff in which she told them to get ready to create a fan and student vote to pick a new mascot. Now, obviously that did not happen. UNLV has elected to go without a mascot. They do just simply do not have one. They did not decide to come up with a new one. But I think we were robbed here because this is what I this is exactly what I want. I want multiple stages where we have people suggesting names, like this is what UNLV's mascot should be, whatever it is. And then some of the athletic department picks their favorite five, and then they put it out to a vote. And fans and students get to vote on what the new mascot will be. Do you know how phenomenal that would be? Because everyone will care about that. Everyone will have an opinion on it. Most people will hate it, but everyone will have an opinion on it. It will create so much conversation. It'll be great. We'll be able to just do three hours on UNLV's mascot on this show, but they have robbed us of that by going without a mascot. We are going to be the UNLV mascot McMascot faces. Well, that would be Jared's suggestion, but yes. No, that would be the internet's suggestion. Well, you don't let the internet suggest it. You let the internet vote after you've already picked out your own names. But we have been robbed of it, and it would be phenomenal if we do. So, Ed, my question to you from Bischoff's Briefs. When does UNLV actually get a new mascot? Ah, it's a great question. Um, hold on just a second. I was having the breakfast bar and trying to pay attention to you on this Bischoff's <laughs> Briefs. Um, so, well, I, I, first of all, I didn't, even, I didn't even have to listen after you told me you did public records requests because I was so impressed with you and happy for you that that's all I needed to really hear, that you did journalism. But... Um, I don't know when it happens. I completely agree with you about putting it out there in the community. Newspapers do that as well sometimes. Like you have contests to generate, um, whether it be people to your website, people to your newspaper. I think it, those are always good because essentially you're, you know, you're, it's free advertising, right? It's free marketing. You just like let people decide stuff. Um, I don't know when it happens, but I'll ask you this. Are there anyone, cause I'm, I think it might be a layup. People might think it's too obvious. Is there any? Is there any um, college in America with a nickname Sharks? Am I missing something? I don't think so. Um, I've never even heard of one. I've got to be honest with you. Yeah, not that I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they would do it. I'm just saying that, that people would think that's a layup. Um, I've always, I've, I've always wanted, the, I wanted the Golden Knights to be the Scorpions because I've had so many in my house. We've all been, you know, everyone's been stung in my family uh, except me. I've avoided it. So I, I have a kind of a preference for scorpions. <laughs> it's a rite of passage um, yeah. in the grainy household. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they just live with us. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you on put it out for a vote because that stuff, like really, and the one thing, let's be honest, um, the one thing that this program struggles with is apathy. Now, there's a reason for that for football. They haven't won in forever. There's really a reason for that for basketball. They haven't been in the NCAA tournament since 2013. So anything, like you said, that could get people actually interested are actually involved 
there's no way that's not a win-win. It doesn't matter what you choose. You're actually getting people to be interested in your program again. I can't believe you just gave us – I like the nickname Scorpions because everybody in my family has yeah. been well, gotten by a scorpion except me. We, I'm good to go. Yeah. <laughs> we've kind of we've kind of like used to be mad at them. Now we've just kind of adopted them and realized they're kind of part of the existence here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you, I can't tell you how much I wanted, and I'm a Jersey guy now, the Knights to be named that with a huge scorpion on, on the crest of their jersey. I thought that would be awesome, but I didn't get my wish. It almost Sorry. sounds like you're sicking the scorpions on the rest of your family. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, yes. I'm walking down the hall, and there's one. Tristan, come over here. Uh, help me with something. Walk right there. Well, that poor kid's gotten it four times, so I can't do that to him anymore. We'll have to have Sam and Ash weigh in on whether or not he technically is liable for... Uh, Can I be sued by my family? Is this uh, a crime? So, okay. It's just crime. negligence. On the idea of going without a mascot, I will give you a timeline from Ole Miss. Because Ole Miss, the, the other school sharks. that is the Rebels. So Ole Miss, uh, they retired their mascot, Colonel Reb, back in 2003, and then they did not have a mascot for seven years. It wasn't until 2010 that Ole Miss introduced a new mascot, and they did it through a student vote. They introduced a black bear. So on that timeline, that's seven years. So do you think we go seven years without, Ole Miss, or excuse me, without UNLV having a mascot, or do you think UNLV will have one before seven years? I think they'll have one before seven years, but you know as well as I do just by saying the Ole Miss one. This start getting the red tape and politicians and who thinks and board of, and everyone that's involved in these kind of these decisions. I'm not surprised it took seven years. It's not just some simple decision that the president makes overnight and doesn't like involve anyone. And when you start getting certain people, and I'll say this town, involved with a school like UNLV and how they're going to be presented and how they're going to be depicted – I don't know if it's seven years, Tyler, but it ain't happening next week. I mean, it, it, when you throw these things out there, way too many people have opinions. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and it just tends to drag on and drag on. Well, I, I think the funny part of this, though, is if you're UNLV, like, you could introduce one tomorrow. Like, it, like I guess nobody, you could introduce one. Yeah, I mean, people would hate it, but, like, it's not something that you actually have to go through many layers for. Like, Desiree Reed Francois could just – draw up some weird mascot and get a costume made for it. And then here's our new mascot. Like there's nothing that would stop her from doing that. It's her athletic department. So I, I would be fascinated to see how they would actually go about it. But it sounds like if Desiree Francois is here, that Desiree Francois is going to do it. Some sort of fan vote, some sort of student vote. Um, and then go with that from there. Now to give you the old Miss comparison again, they've had a student vote. Ended up on a black bear. Everybody hated it. After seven years, the black bear got retired. So the the mascot that got voted on did not last very long at Ole Miss. Hold on. Didn't the fan vote originally select Admiral Akbar? No, Admiral Akbar was never actually able to be voted on. Darn it. You have well, you have completely bastardized that story into something you wish it was. I mean, yeah, let's duh, be that's honest, a, though. That's I mean, how I they live. They can make it real easy on themselves, and I don't know. Call a Colorado firm, pay him sixty-seven to five, sixty to seventy-five thousand dollars, and have one tomorrow, right? I mean, that's always works over there. <laughs> Get that Colorado that firm on the phone. Oh, what a firm! Yeah, a Colorado firm. Wait, you're calling us back already? <laughs> <laughs> 
What a firm. What a job. We'll create yeah, a bad a logo firm. for you. You'll never yeah. use again. All right. Coming up next. Oh, we haven't given enough. Uh, we haven't given enough Padres to Ed just yet. The pitch is a curveball. Grounded slowly up the middle. Right at Tatis. He steps on second. That is the ball game, and that is a hell of a winner for the Padres as they take the Dodgers down eight to seven in eleven. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Joining us now from the San Diego Union Tribune is Tom Krasovic. Tom, how are you this morning? Hello, doing Thomas. well. How are you? Oh, we are we are good. At least half of this show is good. So <laughs> uh, how how would you summarize the first uh, seven games we've gotten to see between the Padres and the Dodgers this season, even if it's just April? Like, is it fair to say playoff intensity games in April? Very fair. I would say this was a lot of fun. I can't remember April's series of this uh, adrenaline and intensity, lots of talent, and... All these games were so closely contested, too, which uh, only added to it. So pretty close to unique, really, for April. Yeah, very close to unique. Tommy, uh, yak, yak, yak. I told you last night, this Tatis kid has a chance if he ever learns how to field a ground ball and throw a ball straight. Uh, So if we go past all his deficiencies, um, compare him to – you covered uh, baseball for a long, long time. I guess compare him to other kind of magnetic kind of young guys who come aboard and, and, and really kind of change the league. Have you seen anyone like him? Ken Griffey probably would be the number one. And then if you want to go position and size and talent, A-Rod, number two, those, those are comparables. But he has aspects that make it unique. Um you really shouldn't be able to, even if you're guessing or peeking, and of course he was guessing, but he hits a slider that's probably five inches off the plate. He goes out and gets it. Okay, we've seen that where a guy will drive that in for a single or double. Maybe he'll hit it over the opposite field fence. He went out and hooked that over the left center field wall. You'd, I, I can't remember anyone doing something like that. That's pretty hard to do. <laughs> Because usually if you go out and get a ball like that and pull it, you hook it. And you can't, so you can't drive it 420 feet with backspin. Um, when he hit the ball, his hips were parallel to the pitcher. That's very hard to do. On Again, picture a ball six inches off the plate. So he has incredible coverage. And we've seen him turn around 98 inside without cheating. So that's I'm, what am I up to, like 25 inches of width coverage where he can hit a home run? Pretty unusual. And so he gets on the, And we saw in the series, if he gets on base, okay, you want to walk him? He's going to be on second. We know that, right? Because the pitchers today, don't they don't hold runners. And he's really fast, and he knows how to get a jump. And there's a good chance he'll steal third, too. So what were the Dodgers up against? there that there aren't many easy comparisons and he's a shortstop and last year he was number one in shortstop efficiency so you think he'll work through this 
these glitches with his defense. So the guys <laughs> at 22, you don't want to get too carried away, but the way I see it, the only thing that's going to stop him is injury or, you know, some freako throwing disease or some weirdness. But the talent he showed against, and who was he hitting the home runs off? Kershaw. Kershaw's getting up there a little, but he's still really good. Uh, Bauer, still really good. Uh, Walker Bueller, he wasn't hitting it off the middle relievers. He was smoking their best starters on supposedly the best staff. So, so for Tatis, do you think he was peeking back there to get the signs? Like, what do you make of Trevor Bauer calling him out for that? I think he probably was peaking. If I had to guess, it was probably confirmation. He probably had figured out that he's probably going out there. Let's double check. And uh, that probably solidified it or was a further confirmation. Let's give this a go. I'm going to go out there and get a pitch and, and see if I'm right. And uh, there's no rule against it. It's certainly frowned upon. It used to be more frowned upon and retaliatory. Now it's a little different. Uh, but you can use this to your advantage as an opponent. I mean, the Padres, you've seen that their catcher, what he'll do, he'll bang the dirt on the ground and wave his mitt down low to in the peripheral vision, then he'll go up the ladder while the guy's looking down low. So I wouldn't get too hung up in that one. Uh, what, what, you know, again, I'm taking you back, but Bauer comes out and people were shocked, I guess, because the way he acts and he's kind of like, you know, the Twitter and he's got an edge to him to come out and say, Hey, I have no problem with the, uh, one eye of Tatis and, and Machado. I have no problem with that. Uh, I think it might've been Hosmer where he did the sword and then Hosmer got a hit. He did the sword. He's like, Hey, we're going back and forth. Uh, too many guys are soft nowadays with the retaliatory. That's stupid. One, were you surprised that came from Trevor Bauer? And two, where do you stand as someone who covered the game for so long and saw these retaliatory movements by pitchers to hit guys once they give something up? Uh, I agree with Bauer that hitting guys who do their job well isn't real good for anyone. Um, Now, if it is understood very clearly that the person's in violation of the so-called unwritten rule, well... Then I, I think it's a little more realistic. I still don't like it because you can kill someone or bad, badly hurt them. Uh, as far as, as the uh, social media stuff, uh, and seen, <laughs> I don't think I had seen a player go on social to break it down like Bauer did, but it was pretty interesting. And uh, I think it's probably good for the game because people like this stuff. It's a little like big-time wrestling back and forth. And uh, it is entertainment. So I think it's probably a good thing. Do you think the Padres needed this series, and maybe particularly the comeback last night to after getting swept by the Dodgers in the playoffs last year to basically prove to themselves that they can play and beat the Dodgers if they have to in a playoff series? Yeah, I think that was a, a step along the way. It's a step on the journey that had to happen, if not now, maybe June when they meet again. Because uh, we all know it's, it's been a long eight years against the Dodgers. We all know those were different teams. But the idea is this team has enough talent to go the distance. So in that journey, you're probably going to have to demonstrate you can beat the Dodgers. If only to yourself. You know, you, you gain confidence. It's like anything else. Uh, 
you learn by doing. So just playing these games is great for them to learn how to be better in these situations. And uh, yeah, it, it's not you're not just learning to learn. You got to put up some wins and and beat them, and they did. I think I think it's an important step. It's a small step, but it's an important one, and it's one that has had to happen. Um, is four three Padres right now in the season series? You talked about, and I think you used the word supposedly best staff. Just watching these seven games, I think the staffs are a lot closer than maybe people pursue them. You got May last night striking out 10, throwing 98-99, and, you know, Vasquez and all these guys like, hey, if he's on another team, he's a one or a two. Look what he's on on this rotation. But it sure seemed to me over these seven that the staffs might be a little closer when the entire staffs are both healthy. Oh, they are. Uh, I think that that showed up in the seven games. Darvish pitched really good games and I know the Dodgers may deny this but another team told me when the Padres traded for Darvish and the Dodgers saw what they gave up they were dismayed they were not happy about that um, <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean those guys the Cubs got aren't going to pan out but they're all young, fairly young teenagers none of them were ranked prospects up in the upper level of Padre rankings and this guy has, I don't know if you're watching him, he's, he's really pitching and he's got good stuff. He has better stuff than Kershaw. He's a year older. So for them to be able to trade for him, um, now obviously it has pretty good stuff. I mean, you, you expect him to maybe pitch a little deeper in the game, but he's capable of being a frontline guy. And then, uh, Musgrove has been very good. Musgrove is doing like Darvish, guys. He's throwing maybe 20% four-seam fastballs. He's throwing all these Frisbees up there. And the Dodgers couldn't quite knock him out, even though he was pretty vulnerable. So he knows how to uh, – he's showing he knows how to uh, minimize the damage. And then uh, Young Weathers, the Dodgers, I don't know if they scored on him. It's pretty incredible. But the guy we're sort of overlooking is the closer. He's been dynamite. I think they cited for like two million dollars, and I don't. I can't imagine anyone thought he'd have this kind of month. Mark Melanson. Yeah. So, Tom, as long as his saw, name's not Kenley Jansen, because I'm, I'm not liking that guy. But go ahead. You, you needed Kenley last night, Ed. What are you talking yeah, about? He, so yeah, he took the night off. <laughs> So, Tom, uh, Eddie, the Dod- Eddie Jan- 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 Jansen's been doing some nice work. He lost weight, and he got, he's been up to the mid-90s and his best cutter in years. He, they have to give him a night off after the four-out save. But, uh, boy, I think he's been sort of a, a, a little bit of a gift for the Chargers how well he's picked. See, Ed, a gift. A gift how well he's been. Yeah, you he's should respect Kenley Jansen. Respect him. He'll be great for yeah. you. Well, he's he is Tom Tom Krasovic from the San Diego Union Tribune. Tom, we appreciate it. Thank you this morning. Thanks, Tommy. Have a great one. See you, Eddie. Take care. See you. <laughs> um, yeah, a gift. Well, I guess he's a gift. I'll I, I tell you what. As much as I cringe when he comes in, I would have taken him last night over some of the arms they threw out there. Well, of course you oh. would have. Good God! Yeah. What was it? What was it? Seven to one in the eighth inning? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, um, Taylor hits that home run, and I'm like, okay, 
uh, split the series. It's a nice job. Uh, very happy. And then it just goes to the pen, and it's an absolute disaster. The guy that killed me, absolutely killed me, was Nelson. What a bum. Four hits, two runs, two earned. Couldn't get out of it. Gratterall, you know, he throws 100 miles an hour. He still gives up two runs. I felt bad for Clevenger having to come in at all. But, yeah, I mean, Nelson was just a disaster. It was horrible. I, I, by the way, um, Peters, I could swing better than this kid. We got to get Bellinger back. The, the nonsense that's happening with this lineup with the injuries. I'm not happy at all. Wait, who else is hurt behind besides I'm, Bellinger? I'm pining, I'm pining away for Joe Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm pining away for. Can you believe it? I'm pining away for the guy with the weird face. <laughs> it's tough to be a Dodgers fan. All right. It's awful right now. Here is your chance. We got a Golden Knights jersey to give away. So. You will get a Golden Knights jersey. You will also be qualified to win a pair of tickets to a Golden Knights game. We're going to give away a jersey every day this week. We'll also qualify those people to go to a game with some free tickets. So the phone number is 702-364-1100. We're going to take caller number 9 at 702-364-1100. Again, caller 9 702-364-1100. A Golden Knights jersey could be yours. Shohei drives it. Deep right center field. Oh, Shohei gone. Look how far that baseball went. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Don't know what game that happened in. More importantly. The Astros. Nah, don't think so. Um, more importantly, oh, by the way, here's some breaking news. The Clippers are signing DeMarcus Cousins. Ah, that'll know. be fun. Because for the six minutes till he gets hurt. What yeah, sense. exactly. So DeMarcus Cousins Jeez. going to the Clippers. Um, so that's fun. But uh, there have been some reports this morning. Peter King has one. Ian Rappaport has one. Albert Breer has one. A whole bunch of people reporting that the Falcons have been taking, receiving, Trade calls about Julio Jones. And on some of these reports, uh, one report was that they would want a first-round pick back for Julio Jones. But there was another one. I think it was Peter King that reported that the Falcons would want a second-round pick for Julio Jones. So, did the Raiders make an offer for Julio Jones? Uh, Given they looked at every quarterback in the draft, this doesn't surprise me at all that they're back to the offensive guys. Um Gruden will probably throw in three more picks than he has to. Uh, so if they made a call on him, that wouldn't shock me at all. They're just he's in love with offensive players. The, I'm not surprised at that. Um, but you know, Julio Jones. Uh, look, the guy walking down the street at 32 years old is young. 32 year old Julio Jones. I'm not so sure. He he missed like seven games last year, and he has this. Last year he had a recurring hamstring injury. And I know, you know, he's had an offseason, but 32 and a recurring hamstring injury, those things can really linger. Um, his numbers in 19 went down from 18. I'm not saying he's still not really good, but I'd love to know what a 32-year-old Julio Jones on the market is worth, given he now obviously has some issues injury-wise. It would not shock me at all if someone like the Raiders overpaid for him. Uh, but I'm just looking at numbers, and, you know, he was he was good in 18. Um had eight touchdowns. Touchdowns have come down. I don't necessarily put all that on him, though. Um, I think they've done a really poor job getting him the ball in the, in the red zone. But, yeah, I mean, 
I don't think either of us are, are shocked if the Raiders have made a call on this if they heard he was on the market. I would be fascinated to see what the Raiders would be willing to yeah. change with their roster to get Julio Jones. Because, yeah. number one, to get Julio Jones, you have to trade for him, meaning you've got to give up something to get him. But his cap hit this year is $23 million. His cap hit next year is 19 million dollars the Raiders don't have 20 million dollars in salary cap space so something would have to change something significant Mm. would have to change for this team so I would be fascinated to see what would they be giving up I mean to be honest with you it's Derek Carr isn't it I mean if you're making space for 20 million to get Julio Jones like Derek Carr is the one guy that makes sense yeah can they do he's kind of the only one right in that you know the cap is yeah he's He's the only one in that realm. I mean, no one else makes that much. So I guess you could combine nine players and get rid of all them and be equal $20 million. But um, I don't think it happens just for the reason you're saying. It's it, to make that work and to move on from the guy that you said, you know, is you know you believe in, believe in, believe in, all of a sudden Mariota is the quarterback and you've moved on from for Julio Jones. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I, I am fast. I don't think it'll be the Raiders. but And they obviously because of the cap, I guess they can't trade him until June 1st. So it's going to happen like a month after the draft. Um, I'd love to know what he's worth. You know, he's he's might be the best receiver of his generation. I mean, he's an, he's been an incredible player, but he's 32, and on the football field, that's old for a guy who's been hurt, or at least is getting old. So I don't think it's the Raiders. I just always think it's funny when all the reports about this is the Raiders were mentioned first. Like the teams have <laughs> called on him. We're going to list five teams. The first one, and it's not an alphabetical order. It's the Las Vegas Raiders. Is there? Yeah. A- so. Go ahead, Jared. I was just going to say, is there any way to do like a three-team trade where you're like, okay, you guys retain this much salary and then we get him, (laughs) and in exchange, here's Zay Jones and most of our picks, and then you guys can have, uh, I don't know, Henry Ruggs and some of our picks. I don't think that's allowed in the NFL because I'd I'd actually have to look and see – like what the dead cap hit is on Julio Jones. And then, for example, if you trade Derek Carr, he'd have a dead cap hit too. It wouldn't be very much, but it, it would exist. So even Derek Carr might not be enough because Carr, their, their salary cap, by the way, situation, Carr has the highest cap hit over $20 million. The next highest is Colton Miller at 13. Uh, and then Yannick right. Ngakwe is also at 13. So they don't have anybody. They'd have to get rid of at least two more players to have any chance at, at Julio Jones and his cap hit right now. But to be honest, like you look at the NFL right now, still and this, is, this is teams with, with 15 million in cap space, right? So 15 is not even enough, but if you have 15, maybe you can make it work. You Patriots, can make move. Patriots, Washington, 49ers, Chargers, Browns, Lions, Colts, Bengals, Jets, Broncos, Jacks. That's it. Like that's the, that's the list there of guys, of teams that could conceivably make that move otherwise they there's not enough there's not many teams that have that much space like the ravens are a team that are tied there like they're only 12 and a half cap space 12 and a half million in cap space so even the ravens like you got to do a lot of work to make julio jones's contract fit i of all those teams like i guess and this is one of the teams that's mentioned mentioned all the reports to me is interesting are the patriots he's done that before and i can't remember cap situations before but he's done that before for Frontline receivers, you know, Moss, Antonio Brown. I mean, he kind of has, it appears, you know, a favoritism towards big-time receivers if he can get them. So if they're the one with the most cap space, he probably only have to move one or two other guys to make up the cap space. Like, that would intrigue me. Again, 
more so, I want to know what is Julio Jones worth? Like, let me ask, like, what would you give up for Julio Jones at this point in his career? I, I don't know. Uh, is he a two? Is he a three? I don't know what you'd have to give up for him. Yeah, I, I think, like, he's worth a first-round pick. He's going to give you the production that makes it worth a first-round pick. The problem, though, is how much he gets paid versus if you get a first-round pick and you only have to pay that first-round pick $3 million. And Julio costs $23 million. 